All right, well, we are continuing to work through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we finished the first half, um, chapter 3, last week. And so in the first half of the letter, Paul is setting up a theological foundation, right? He's reminding us of who God is and all that he's done for us, right? We've seen that we are chosen, we are redeemed, we are recipients of God's grace, we are made alive, we're given an inheritance through the Holy Spirit who strengthens and guides us, all of this to create a new community that lives together, uh, made up of all kinds of different people and different views and different ethnicities and different backgrounds coming together. And so he does that through Christ, not through the things of this world. And so he set this kind of big challenging vision for us to all come together, meet in a room, do ministry together, and all get along, right? That's not the easiest thing to do. Um, so he gives us this big challenge. But what I like about Paul, and especially what he does here in Ephesians is, he doesn't just say, hey, here's how you're supposed to live and put this big thing in front of us and say, good luck, you're on your own. I hope you figure it out. Now, Paul comes back and he gives us very practical advice for how to live this out, of what it should look like. And that's what we're going to see in the second half of Ephesians. He's going to get very practical. He's going to talk about very specific things that we can do. And so he's going to continue to show us how we can live out this new life in new community. And so we're going to start that this morning um, with Ephesians chapter 4. Um, if you want to turn there, um, it is page 1037 um, in the Pew Bible sitting in front of you. You can also follow along um, in the Version app or the Brentwood Bible app. But we're going to read just verses 1 through 6 this morning. So here's what it says. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And so we're only going to tackle those six verses this morning. Um, Paul's going to talk about kind of a big picture of what it looks like to be united, and he'll get more specific as he goes through. Um, sometimes I warn you up front um, when things are going to be a little interesting with our sermon outline. And so today in your bulletin, there's only two points um, but just because of the way Paul has written this, there's seven subpoints for each of those. Um, so think of it as 14-point sermons. So I, we're going to go through it pretty quickly, um, but I'm just warning you ahead of time. There's, Paul has written it this way, and so we're just following what he said like he does. And so first, he's going to talk about how to walk in unity, right? Walk worthy of the calling you have received. And so Paul has laid the foundation. He's explained who God is. He's a God of grace that chooses us and brings us into his family in and through Christ. He provides for us. He provides power. He indwells us through the Holy Spirit. And in addition to that, he gives us this calling, right? This calling to walk worthy of the life that we have. And the first part of this call, I'm going to split it into two parts. The first call is simply the call to believe. Right? This is the Holy Spirit working in us, opening our eyes, and prompting us to believe in Jesus and his work for us. It's the call to trust in Christ for life and for salvation. So step one is just responding to the call to believe in Christ. When that gift is offered to you, that you take it and you receive it and you become part of the family. And the second part is to live a life 
that reveals our saved status in Christ. Right? So once you become a believer, your life should change. It should be different. It should look different than it did before. And so our lives are conformed to the image of Christ, to walk in the way of grace and in the way of salvation. So we're conformed, as we talked about last week, as the Holy Spirit strengthens us and changes us from the inside, we become more like Christ. And so we live that out in our lives. And so the term Paul uses for this, um, for living it out, is the term walk. Um, walk worthy is what we see here. And this is, Paul's going to reference this word walk a, a lot through the second half of his letter. Um, and so what he's doing when he says this is, this is what life in your new community looks like. And so just for reference, we heard one this morning. These are the other verses that reference the same thing. Um, 4.17, therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. But then he goes on to explain what you should do. For chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And then Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the best use of the time. And so Paul is using this term walk kind of to talk about this is how you should live your life. Not just to live it out, but to walk worthy of your calling. And you might be tempted here to think, well, if I have to walk worthy of my calling, that means at some level I have to prove my worth, or I have to show that I was worthy of this calling in the first place. And so I have to work hard, or I have to do all of these things to prove my worth. But that doesn't fit with what Paul has said up to this point. Right? Salvation is a gift of grace from God. It's a gift. It isn't earned. So that means once we receive it, it doesn't change. We don't have to earn it or prove that we're worthy of it because we weren't. We weren't worthy of the gift of salvation. We weren't. None of us were deserving. But what Paul was trying to get us to understand is that there needs to be a balance between our conduct, how we live, and our calling, what we say we believe. And that's where the word worthy comes in. The word worthy in this context actually means equal weight. It means balanced. Right? And so to walk worthily or in balance means to harmonize your conduct with your calling. And so, yes, we trust in our calling to salvation. We trust it is secure. We trust it is given by grace in Christ. It cannot be taken away. We can rest in Christ and in the salvation. But it also means that we live in a way that displays our changed lives and reveals Christ's work in us. So that our lives, as Paul has talked about up to this point, display the immeasurable riches of his grace. He's mentioned that a couple of times in the first chapters, that what we do and how we live displays God's work to others. And so our call is to live in unity and to love those in this new community. And then what he does after this is gives us a list of characteristics and actions that we should do as we live this out. And so that's really where our points come from. We're just going to take these one at a time and kind of what do these mean? What does it look like? What are some things we might um, want to pay attention to on each of these? And if you notice, all of these are directed towards other people. 
It's how you live with other people. It's how you treat other people. It's how you act towards other people. And so the way that we live towards other people sort of shows that we are worthy of our calling. And so we see the list in verses 2 and 3. We have all humility. We have gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity through the bond of peace. And so we're just going to walk our way through each one of these. Um, the first one is humility. And the best definition of humility um, I know is from C.S. Lewis. He says, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. Um, and I think that's the best explanation. It doesn't mean you think you're not worthy or you're not good enough or you're less than somebody else, but it means I'm going to think about myself and my wants and my needs and my desires and getting what I want less than I do for other people. The best demonstration of humility is no shocker here, is obviously Jesus who does this, but we see that in Philippians chapter 2, and this kind of talks about Jesus' humility. Um, I'm going to read it for you, but this will sound very familiar if you've been in church for any amount of time. But it says this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And so Jesus' demonstration of humility is saying, I am going to serve. Even though I am the king, I am worthy to rule, and I will rule in the future. I'm laying all of that aside to live as a man among the people to be ridiculed and falsely accused and killed on their behalf. Right? He humbles himself and says, I am here to serve, to serve God and to serve those who need my help. That's humility, right? To serve others, whatever it takes. But notice that he says it's all humility, right? With all humility, not just a touch of humility, not just humility when it's easy, not even false humility, right, where we pretend we're humble so people will say good things about us. Nobody, you guys don't ever do that, right? No, nobody fishes for compliments around here, I'm sure, right? But to be completely humble in all situations, right? Humility is the opposite of pride, which would be thinking you're better than somebody or on the flip side, thinking someone is less than you or expecting special privileges, or cutting in line, um, or not wanting to wait for something, right? I deserve this now because I'm important. I have important things to do. I don't have time to wait for this. So I can cut in front of all of these other people or jump in front and get what I want. But it means to treat others the same or better than you want to be treated. It's looking out and caring for others. So we live with all humility. We also have to live with gentleness. And this word, I'm going to link it actually to control. Um, the word gentleness is connected, I think, to control. The first is controlling your power. Meaning, if you have power and authority, you don't just use it for yourself but you use it for those who would benefit from it the most. This is like caring for those who have no voice, 
for standing up for those who are being oppressed or mistreated, um, but they can't help themselves, and so you step in to help them. Or it's simply treating those you have authority over with care and with dignity. Right? This is control of your power. This is Jesus during his trials and on the cross, right? When he's tried, when he's asked all of these questions, when people are making up stuff and lying about what he's done, he doesn't argue with them. He doesn't tell them they're being ridiculous. He doesn't throw them out. He doesn't just walk away. He doesn't get angry. He just quietly takes it. He is gentle. He is under control, even though he has the power to wipe them out right? With a snap of the fingers or with a word, it's over. It's done. So this is tremendous power under control. And it also means under emotional control. I think this is the one we think about more when we think of gentleness, that somebody is kind or caring or a little soft-spoken, right? I think is sometimes what we think about with gentleness. Well, what's behind those things is emotional control, right? I'm in control of my emotions. I know what's going on. I respond to a situation appropriately. So do you fly off the handle for small things? Do you react violently to situations, right? Do you explode or overreact when something happens? It's a sign you may not be acting with gentleness. Now, that also doesn't mean you have no emotion and you just are flat all the time. I think the, the, the concept behind gentleness is you have the right amount of emotion. When big emotions are called for, it's okay to have those. But don't have them when it's not, right? To be gentle. Then is to be patient. And the word for patience here is connected to the idea of bearing insult or injury without bitterness or complaint, of putting up with difficult situations and difficult people without irritation, right? To be patient, that no matter what happens to you, no matter what somebody says about you, no matter what's going on in your life, you can just wait and you can be calm and you can endure it, right? There's a a joke among pastors, at least, I think what's among Christians is, uh, don't pray for patience. Um, because if you do, there's going to be something that comes into your life that tries your patience um, so that God can teach you patience. So it's always, a, they say it's always a dangerous thing to pray for patience because God's going to be true to that promise and put you through something that will involve having patience. But patience partners with the next phrase that he uses of bearing with one another in love. I had some, uh, one of the commentators this week that I was reading said, this may be better understood or translated as putting up with one another in love, right? Of putting up with one another, right? We value others by loving them and by putting up with them. Right? And not just putting up with them because we have to. Right? I come to church, they also come to church, so we just have to exist in this space, and I just have to put up with them, even though they say ridiculous things, or they get on my nerves, or they do this, or they do that. Right? Or I, have to, I work with them, so I have to put up with them, that kind of thing. But I love them, so I will put up with them. Right? And hopefully for us, 
as Christians and believers, I think what Paul is calling us to, not just to put up with somebody and say, okay, I'll just put up with them and we'll just live in our... But hopefully this goes further than that. Right? Hopefully in the loving community of the church, as we are united and shaped by Christ, this actually turns into, well, I used to put up with them, but now we're friends. Well, I used to put up with them, but now I enjoy being with them. I used to put up with them, but I actually told them the things that they were doing that were making me a little crazy, and we're working on those together. And sometimes they might have a list for you that you might could work on as well, right? And so you work together in Christian community, not just to put up and tolerate one another, but to become better together, to become better friends, to care for one another. And then he talks about making every effort. Now, I kind of threw this in in the last couple of months. We kind of talked about this, so I'm just going to touch on it really quick just to reinforce. I think what Paul is reminding us is this is work. To be humble, to be patient, to be gentle, to bear with one another isn't the easiest thing in the world to do. If it was easy, everybody would already be doing it, right? Everybody would already be being kind to each other everywhere you go, would be patient, would be gentle. Um, I don't know if you've been out and about lately, but that doesn't seem to be how people are treating each other, right? Just think about your drive home in the afternoon. Are people being patient and gentle and humble and considerate as they're driving home from work? Right? It should be hard. We, we all want to go our own way. We all want to do things our way. But it's to work humbly and to live and work together, right? To make every effort. Not just to say, well, I only see him for an hour on Sunday, so I'll just let it go. Or I only see him on Zoom on Wednesday night, so it's not a big deal. But no, to actually build friendships together to walk together, to do this together, to rub up against each other, even when it's hard, so that we can help each other. And so we do all of these things. We make every effort to do what? To keep the unity. Notice what it says. It says keep the unity. It doesn't say create the unity. I think that's an important distinction here because sometimes we think, oh, it's our job to create the unity, to all be together together. And then we hold on to that. But what this is saying is, God has already created the unity in us. He has brought us together in Christ. The unity comes from outside to within in us. And so it's our job to preserve the unity that God has already established in us. It comes very clearly through Jesus in our unity, which we'll see in just a second as we get to the second half of the passage. And so we keep the unity through the bond of peace. Right? The bond of peace. What binds us together is peace. And this seems pretty obvious. Right? The only way for a group to work together and to accomplish their goals and their mission together is to be characterized by peace. And so Christ brings peace between us so that we can live in peace with one another. Now, I want to remind you here, because we have this list of things that we're supposed to do, um, that this list or things are not done out of sheer willpower. Like, I'm going to try hard enough. 
I'm going to do it. I'm going to decide to be humble. I'm going to decide to be patient. I'm going to decide to be gentle. I'm going to keep my emotions under control. I'm going to be nice to other people. I'm going to get along with other people. I'm just going to try really hard. Right? But Paul all the way through is saying that's not how this happens. Right? This happens as the Spirit changes us from the inside. Right? That's why I talked about last week. Your, your inner being is strengthened by the Spirit. Right? When Christ makes his home in you and changes you, then you begin to live these things out. We don't just do it because we try hard, right? which we should do anyway, but it's through the Spirit that helps us do that. And so that's kind of how we should walk in unity. And then he spends the second half of the passage showing us why we should walk in unity. And he uses the word one a whole bunch of times in the second half. It's not hard to see that. And so it's basically just this list of one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord. And so what we're going to do in the second half is exactly what we did in the first half. We're just going to walk through these things. And so we have one body. This one body is the church, which he's just kind of talked about, right? It's, I would say what he's actually talking about here is all the believers in the world at any given time gathered in local expressions. And so it's one body. We share a common existence in Christ's church, right? We are a, a united people of a diverse background, diverse gifts, Diverse generations, but we are united as one. Right, so the church shouldn't be marked by division. It shouldn't be marked by special groups or elevated status. Right, my ministry is more important than yours because look at what we do versus look what you do. Right, we are one body together in the church, which is what Paul has been talking about for almost all of chapter 3. Right? He's taken two people who didn't like each other at all and brought them together into one body to be a loving community. And so what brings us together is the one Spirit. Right? The one Spirit is the Holy Spirit who indwells the church as a whole and every believer, individual believer in the church. Right? Our inner person is changed by the Spirit to bring unity among us and to make us one. As we come to faith, we receive the Spirit, and it begins to do its work in us. Right? We all share this as believers in Christ. We all share the same origin of the Spirit working in our lives. It creates unity in us, and it empowers us to maintain and preserve it. But it's only as we live by and listen to the Spirit that we can be united. Right? It's the thing pushing us all in the same direction. Right? But if only this half of the room is listening to the Spirit and this half of the room is listening to something else, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be division, there's going to be disunity. It's only as we all listen to the Spirit and live by the Spirit and the Spirit's guidance in us that we can all move in the same direction. So we're called, then he says, we're called to one hope at your calling, right? We all have one hope as believers in Christ, and that hope is in and through Jesus, right? Once we become in Christ, we have hope to face the world, 
hope to face death, and hope to live with God for all eternity. And so this hope is really talking about that as we live as believers, one day we will all end up together, right? As the perfect expression of this loving community in the presence of God for all eternity, right? That's our hope, that when we get to heaven, we do this perfectly. We live in unity. We have humility. We have patience. We have gentleness. We live by the Spirit in God's presence. That's our hope hope that we will get there, right? And then we have one Lord. Our one Lord is obviously Jesus. And for us, it says something to say that Jesus is our Lord. It means he rules over our lives, right? We are submitting to him. He is Lord of my life. Whatever he asks me to do, whatever he calls me to do, I am willing and able to do that thing, But in the time that this was written, to say publicly that Jesus is Lord meant you were going against Caesar. And in doing this, put yourself at harm of physical risk and even death for not supporting and saying that Caesar was Lord. Right? And so it isn't that serious. We're, our lives are not in danger when we say Jesus is Lord like it was for them. But there's still a cost for following Jesus, for submitting to him, for following wherever he leads you, wherever he calls you to go. It will cost you something. And I'm not going to give you a list because it, it'll look different for everybody and it'll look different in different seasons of life. But if you following Jesus doesn't cost you anything, I'm not sure you're quite following him as much as you might think you are. But I do want to say, no matter what it costs you, no matter what you feel like you might have to give up or stop doing to follow him, it will always be worth it. It will always pay off. The thing that he will give you to replace that or to do instead of that will always be better than the thing we wanted so much. Right? The payoff will always be worth it as we follow Christ. But then he calls us to one faith. Right? This is our faith in Christ that we have together. Right? We embrace these truths, this faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day. And as we put our hope and trust in him, We can be forgiven for our sins, for our mistakes, for missing the mark, and be made new, to be made whole, to be made right with God so that we could stand before him in holiness. And so this faith is centered on the gospel, the message of Jesus and what he's done for us. And so it's our call in this to hold on to our faith, to hold on to good doctrine to protect the church, right? Because we have one faith in Jesus, not anything else. And so if we trust in, believe in, think other things get us into heaven, then we're losing the one faith, right? And so let's hold fast to our doctrine. Let's protect it and fight for it and believe in it so that we can have one faith together. And then he calls us for one baptism, Right, this baptism in Christ. 
And there's some back and forth in how people interpret this. Some people say it's the baptism of the Spirit. Some people say it's water baptism. Um, For us, baptism of the Spirit would be the same as when you become a believer and the Holy Spirit enters and indwells you. And then water baptism is the symbol that declares to others that we are followers of Christ. And so I'm taking this as water baptism um, because it's the common experience that we all share of uh, being spiritually baptized into Christ. We are united with him. And the, the act of baptism in water, of being immersed, pictures this reality, right? Of we were alive, but we died to our sins, and we come back new and cleansed in new life. And this baptism is actually what binds us together as you are baptized into Christ. Because what baptism does is it confirms our faith and declares our allegiance to Christ. And so for the individual that's getting baptized, it says, I am declaring to everybody that I am following Jesus. I'm giving my life over to him. I'm living with him, trying to honor what he's done for me. But on the other side, as a church community, when someone gets baptized, we are assuring, we are affirming that, yes, we see in you that you are a believer in Christ. We can trust in you. We can know that our salvation is secure because others have confirmed and affirmed that. And so baptism is a community act. It's not just one person doing it and we all watch. It's everybody in together, confirming and affirming in that this person is in Christ. And then we have one God and Father of all. Right? He is our Father. He's talked about all the way through of uh, uh, being into the family of God or receiving the inheritance to be adopted as sons and daughters of God to become a part of the family. Right? He is God over all. He is the Father of all His children. We are one big family under God's umbrella. But he is also above all and through all and in all. God is the one above all of this, all of the things that we're talking about, everything that's happening in the world, everything that's happening in our church, everything that's happening in our lives. He is the one working in all of this, working in us to change us, to renew us, to make us whole. Changing the church, changing the people around us. He's the one changing all of us and bringing us together. This is what really unites us, is God who is working in all of us through Christ. Which is what we've said all along, right? If there's a question for the book of Ephesians, the answer is, in Christ And the same is true today, right? The more we are in Christ, the more he changes us. The more we submit to him, the more we can live a life of unity with other believers. As Christ comes into us and we submit to him and say, he is my Lord and I trust in him and I give everything over to him and I'm going to follow him and I'm going to ask for and pray for patience. And I'm going to pray for gentleness and humility and help 
so that I can be changed from the inside, so that my life looks different than those around me. And that our church looks different than other groups who are focused on other things because we can have a diverse group of people in here, all united, all agreeing, all getting along as a testimony to God's grace and how he changes us through the Spirit. So as we live by the Spirit, we can walk worthy of the calling that we have received in Christ. You guys pray with me this morning. God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your calling in Christ. That do you lead us and you call us to do things that on our own are, are really hard. It's, it's hard to be humble. It's hard to be patient. Sometimes it's hard just to put up with other people around us. So God, but we know that as we give our lives to you, as we trust in you, that you can change our hearts, you can change our thoughts, so that in those situations we can be humble, we can respond and be under control. We won't overreact, but we will live with gentleness and patience and love for others no matter the circumstances. So God, we ask this morning that you would help us to remember, to help us to remember that we are united. We are one in Christ. We are one in baptism. We are one in love. We are one in hope. And that is all because of what you have done in us. So God, we hope and we pray that you would bring us together, that you would unite us as believers in Christ in this body and that you would unite this body to partner and work with other bodies of believers, that we're all in this together around the world seeking to declare your glory, to, to sing your praises so that others can see the greatness of your grace and mercy and receive that gift so that their lives could also be changed. So God, help us to live out the things that you are calling and asking us to do as a result of our salvation. It's in your name we pray. Amen.